buying something like a like a, a home or um, having some kind of a victory or breakthrough. Um, it, it's been really good, and God is God is definitely moving. And so, whether you believe it or not, or whether you feel it or not, right now, it, it's a good reminder that that God is good, that that God is in control, and that God moves in mysterious ways. We don't always, you know. Testimony last week was the timing of God, and I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Um, like, God, why, why can't we just figure out how to get you to move a little bit faster at times or to move in different ways? But what we have to come to is that He is in control, that He is sovereign, and He knows what the perfect time is in all things. And so we hold to that, and um, we just praise God for all that. Let me pray this morning before we get into the Word. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we can gather. Thank you, Lord, for community and, and what community um, is and, and what you're forming us into um, in, in, in regards to Pima International Church. Lord, I thank you for just the men and women who are the church here, the men and women who go into the marketplace, who go into their neighborhoods, um, who go into neighborhoods that aren't even their own and share the gospel share your love, Lord, and we thank you for those that are receiving, those whose lives are being touched, continue just to do mighty works in their lives, continue to use us in greater ways. Lord, give us boldness and give us confidence as we share your gospel. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds this morning to receive your word. May it feed us in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good. Um, If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Um, It will come up on the screens here, but like I said in the past, please, I encourage you to bring your Bibles, to bring your electronic device, wherever wherever you read your word, bring it, that way you can underline it, you can can make some um, notes along the way as well. But in verse 44 of, of Matthew chapter 13, this is what the text says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has and buys that field. There's a second part to this that um, I'm not necessarily going to focus on this morning, but I'll go ahead and read it. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. So very similar in, in that. But, but verse 44 is, is really... Um, our text this morning and what I want us to focus on this morning. But, you know, the idea of finding a lost treasure is kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever gone treasure hunting or not, but if you go to the beach, you always find one or two guys with their metal detector kind of searching. I don't know if they're looking for a treasure or they're looking for car keys or, or what um, is necessarily going on. But there's this quest sometimes for hidden treasure. We were we were uh, redoing some of our back, um, I guess, landscape area and um, had finished it up and said, Carrie, it's ready. You can plant plants in it. And she started digging. She said, I keep hitting something. And I'm like, just dig it out. It's a rock or something. And she pulled out this bottle. And I'm thinking, wow, what is this thing? And it had these markings on it, 1972. I'm thinking, wow, is this a wine bottle or a Coca-Cola bottle or, or what? It's a Coca-Cola bottle. But um, and it's probably worth 2 or $3. But I'm like, if this bottle's worth $100, I'm digging up the whole yard tonight. <laughs> You know, so there's a whole thing of finding hidden treasure. I think it was a baseball card that was found um, a couple years ago in a, in a tin can in someone's yard. The guy was just digging, and he found it. It was one of the rarest baseball cards, and I don't remember how much it's worth. 
I was watching um, something on TV a few months ago, six or eight months ago, um, and they were looking for treasure off the coast of Brazil, and I think it was called Snake Island is where they were at, and, and the, the island's full of poisonous snakes. I mean, not just one you see every, every day, but one snake you'll see every five or ten minutes. And these guys, and, and this team, men and women, were braving this whole thing to go on this island, and the snake, if it bites you, you need medical attention within 20, 30 minutes, or, or you're going you're gonna to die. They're willing to risk it in order to find this hidden treasure. And so something similar that we see here um, this morning is, is this man who, who, is, who has found a treasure that's buried in a field. And, and this was not a rare occurrence in the time of Jesus. Something very common. I mean, there's a parable later on in Matthew of the um, owner or the master who left um, some talents for his servants. The one that had five and two, they put it into work. But the one who had one... He went and buried it into the ground. The idea of banking system like we have today, a bank on every corner, in essence, is, is not there. And, of course, the electronic part, they, they definitely didn't have that. So it wasn't a rare occurrence to go out and dig and find a his, hidden treasure in the time of Jesus. It wasn't uncommon for you to take your money or your valuable possessions and to dig a hole in the ground and cover it up and protect it, safeguard it in such a way. So what we find this morning is this man's in the field. He's digging on land where he's been hired to work. Now, you know, in Jewish culture, a lot of times or most of the time, land and, and possessions are handed down to the firstborn and, and to family, and it keeps passing down. Now, a lot of interesting commentary on this is, is more than likely the owner of this property is not a direct descendant of who owned it before. In essence, that, that maybe... It was owned by a grandfather, and, and maybe he had no sons. So I don't know if he'd be a grandfather or not. But uh, a man who had no sons, or it was passed to a cousin, to a nephew, and it kind of got passed around indirectly in the family. And if you look in the Old Testament, we see this in, in, in certain places, kinsman's redeemer and stuff. So more than likely, the owner of this property, the owner of the land, it wasn't something that belonged to his dad or his grandfather. It wasn't something that was, was dear to the family and, and even breaking some tradition in some ways. He was open to selling it. He was open to working the land in a way that would make him money. But if something came along that was more profitable, he would certainly entertain that. So we have this man who's working the land, one of the hired hands working the, the, the land, and he's digging a hole in the ground, and he hits treasure. I don't know if it was a treasure chest, probably not, but he found something of great value. And you can imagine digging in the ground and coming and be like, what is this? And, and you're reaching down, you pull maybe a wooden box up or, or something, a piece of cloth, and you begin to pull it back, and there's gold and silver coins, or, or there's something of great value. And being the worker of the land, you know it's not the owner's, because it's probably someone who had owned it generations before. And so you bury it back. You say, this is valuable. This is the most valuable thing I've ever seen in my life. You bury it back. You go and you make an offer to the landowner. I'll sell everything I have in order to have possession of this great treasure. Now, you know, when, when you look at this in some ways, the man's actions are, are quite self-centered, all about self-interest, which is in some ways contrary to the message of the gospel, self-sacrifice, being selfless, Christ going to the cross and laying his life down for us. But in the context of what Jesus is saying is this is the way we are to be when it comes to our treasure, which should be Christ, which should be the kingdom of God, which should be Christ and God himself. 
that it is in our self-interest to desire and pursue him at all costs, in all things, and in all ways. You know, the sacrifice this man had to make was no hardship. You know, we talk about sacrifice a lot of times being hardship or, or even some kind of an obligation or, or maybe there's a manipulation that, that's, that falls into it sometimes. But this, this man, he found delight in selling everything that he had so he could get the, the greatest treasure that he knew. He probably already had things that were valuable to him. And he sold those for this treasure. God is our treasure. And this morning, my question is really uh, very simple. What's your treasure? Or to put it another way, what would you give everything to possess? And there's probably certain answers that, that come to different people's minds. Maybe for some, they're, they're, they're saying, you know, love. I would give anything to, to, to have or possess unconditional love or true love or, or acceptance or not to be rejected, something along those lines. Others might be something more material, to have a, a bank account that's not always at zero, but to have one that's a little bit more padded. Maybe because we're in church, you're going to say something a little more spiritual, like it would be Christ because he is my first and foremost. You know, one of these type of, of answers. And there's truth in that, of course, because ultimately Christ is our treasure. He is the one that we should pursue and we should desire above all. We should be willing to lay down whatever it requires for us to lay down, not because it's a hardship or because it's a great sacrifice that's going to cost us like it is, but because it's a delight to have this treasure in our life. And we ourselves are God's treasure. And we already have the example before us that he laid everything down for us. Now I want us to be careful too, not to think of God as some possession, some, some passive object that we can possess and put in our back pocket. The language in Matthew and throughout the New Testament speaks of a relationship. And that's really what it is, that we would desire a relationship with God Above all things, the greatest treasure, the greatest, the greatest being, the greatest whatever, who he is. But you know, I think many Christians and even churches and ministries, somewhat we fall short in, in this area. We, we understand that God is a treasure, but there's much more to it. There's a lifestyle that should, that should follow as well. You know, Josiah is going to be um, 16 in a couple years, and you know, I gave him the keys, I don't know, couple months ago and said, hey, move the car, you know, from, from the street, just, just a few yards. And he's looking at me like, what do I do? And so we got in and, and we went through some of the things. And I mean, he, he parked it perfectly, just like a professional, better, better than the old man right here in, in a lot of ways. But you know, you remember back when you're 16, maybe you're not 16 yet, guys, but you can, you can dream a little bit with me. You got your driver's license and then you had this, this picture in your mind of kind of your dream car you know for most I mean and I'm not knocking anyone who drives these type of cars but as a 16 year old you don't want the family van you don't want a Chevy Malibu you don't want a Geo Tracker you don't want one of those I mean, you'll take it if that's all you got but you got this vision in your mind of what you want and most of the time it's some kind of muscle car or maybe I'm just coming from a male perspective. You know, a Mustang or Dodge Charger or a Corvette or something. Something's got a little bit of get up and go. You can have the greatest knowledge of that car. You can know how fast it goes from zero to 60. You can know how it corners. You can know how it handles on the wet road, how much braking distance is going to be, what the gas mileage. You can know all these things about it. 
but it's just knowledge-based. And many, many believers, we know a lot about God. We know that he's all-powerful. We know that he's almighty. We know that he loves us. We know scriptures that were read in worship, that he laid his life down for us while we're yet sinners and great demonstration of God's love. We know it's by grace, not by works that we're saved. We know all these things. We know God is willing to call sons and daughters. He does adopt us in as sons and daughters. We know all this stuff, but it requires something more. It requires what, what I'm kind of calling this morning presence, or to be unified and an experience. You know, taking this, this car analogy a little bit more, you can have all this knowledge and vision about it, but all it is is knowledge and vision. You've got to be united with it. You've got to be in the presence. It's going to cost something. You've got to get a part-time job or a full-time job, and, and you've got to go purchase this car. It's really the only legal way you can possess the car. I guess you could steal it, but I wouldn't be legal. But, but you pay a price for this car. And you may work hard. And again, it's something that, that's valued. Yes, I know the knowledge, but I want to be united. And the same is with God. There's, there's a great debt from the, from the beginning of time we see it. When, when Adam and Eve were created, and, and uh, beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3, we're centered into the world. There's a separation from it. But God has made a way through the cross, reconciliation. And we come into that relationship with Christ. We've been reconciled to him. But to me, sometimes this is where we, we miss the greater picture here or, or the greater understanding of what God is. We're good at categories. We, we, in one category, we put God is my treasure, and I understand he needs to be my treasure, and I need to value him above all things. We say it's God, and then, and then family, and then work, and then church, or, or some, something like that, but yet God's one. And on this side, we say, yeah, I understand salvation. I understand this reconciliation. I need to be reconciled to God. But a lot of times what we miss is the merging of those things together. And I think what happens many times when we put reconciliation into a certain box that's a little bit separate from, from the treasure is we devalue what the purpose of the cross is. We say the purpose of the cross is so that when I die, I go to heaven, or when I die, I don't go to hell, or when, I, when, when certain benefits happen because now I'm in relationship. But to me, the purpose of the cross is to be united with our greatest treasure, which is God himself, and for him to be united with us, who he considers treasurous also. That's the purpose of it all, is that God has this unyielding desire to be with us, who is his treasure. And likewise, he wants us to have an unyielding desire to be with him. And we will do whatever it costs we will do whatever it takes to be reconciled to him. That's the purpose of the gospel. One theologian said it this way. He said, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obst obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. Doesn't mince words. If we fail to grasp God's unyielding desire to be with us, then we don't see the ultimate purpose of the cross. It's because we are his treasure, but he also wants us to understand that, that he wants to be our treasure. He wants us to desire him above all things. He wants us to be willing to, to let it cost us something in order to be united, not just to have the vision, not just to have the knowledge that God's all-powerful, he can answer prayer, he can do this, but to be united with him. 
Now, if that car is just sitting in the driveway, you know, you have the knowledge and the vision, you've been united with it, you've been reconciled to it, but you've got to experience it too. And I think really this is sometimes where, where we don't fully engage God because, you know, if you think about it, we want to share the gospel message, we want people to know about God, we want people to be reconciled to God, and once that happens, they're good, they're in heaven. But there's an experience that we all must have. That 16-year-old, they need to get in that car. They need to turn the key. They need to rev the engine a little bit, feel, feel the power. They need to put it in the reverse and back out of the driveway. They need to put it in first gear. Go down to the stop sign and look left and look right. Give it a little bit of gas and pop the clutch and burn some rubber. Open it up on the open road. <laughs> Cruise through town. They need to experience those things, right? They need to feel the power. They need, to, they need to feel when all those eyes are on them as they're kind of cruising down the street. God wants us to experience Him as well. See, too many times we're united with God. We have this great knowledge of who God is, but we're not fully experiencing God. We might rub our hands on the outside of the car and say, I've experienced God in that way. But God's saying, kind of, Burn some rubber. Open it up. Feel the power. And we can see a lot of times in our actions, in the, in the way that we talk, in the, in the way that we act, is, is we say, you know, God, I believe you. And when things are good and things are dandy, we certainly believe that, that God is the one who answers prayer. God is the one who's powerful. But in those moments where things aren't going our way, I'm not saying we don't believe, but there is a questioning that takes place sometimes. And there's sometimes a backing off. Just park it in the driveway. And regardless of where we are, God wants us to experience Him. You know, we've kind of boiled down the whole relationship part of God. And I say this carefully because I've said this before, and, and, and the, the, the way I've said it is it's a great starting point. To read our Bible 10 or 15 minutes a day, it's a great starting point. But that's not the nature or the all-encompassing part of our relationship with Him. Read, we boil it down, read your Bible for 10 or 15, 10 or 15 minutes a day, pray when you have struggles, attend church when it's, when it's convenient to you. Now, if I, my marriage was based on this kind of philosophy, if I came in and, and told Carrie, hey, you've got 10 minutes to speak to me, and only 10 minutes, hey, you're laughing. If I say, hey, I'm going to share something with you when I'm struggling, and it's like a week later, and I say, you know, I've got a headache. And I go another week and say, yeah, I've got this elbow pain. If that's the only time that I come to her, it's going to be strange. If I say, hey, I'm going to stay in my car seven days a week, except for two hours when it's convenient for me to get out of the car and come into the house and fellowship with you. You'd be like, that's not communing. That's, that's not relationship. But yeah, a lot of times, the experience that we put with God, we say, if we've done these things, check, 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 we're good. And I know I'm, I'm talking to, to a fairly mature set of believers who, who do much more than that, but yet there's a greater experience that God wants us to have, to go above and beyond the things that we're doing, not necessarily at a workspace, but to experience Him in greater ways. What are some of the things that you're believing Him for? Some of the things, and we talked about this last week, that, that sometimes when things don't go our way or God doesn't answer the way that we want or He doesn't move, we kind of cross our arms and we kind of take our foot off the gas a little bit. But there's callings, and, and there's, there's dreams that he's given us. There's, there's issues that we're facing, whether it's something financial or health-related or, or relational, that God is wanting to move, and he's wanting us to really experience him, to lay those things at his feet. He says that, that he carries our burdens. He doesn't want us to carry those, but to lay them at his feet, 
doesn't mean the answer comes tomorrow. It doesn't mean the breakthrough comes tomorrow. When we're in China, we had these, these students, one of the top universities in China, uh, top one in South China, all these intellectuals, these students who were scoring real high on GRE, almost perfect scores. So they knew God. They understood when you shared the gospel. Logically, they would get it. God loves you. God died for you because you have sin. You've got to receive them. They, they got all that. And, and they would say, yeah, I want to I I pray this prayer. But a lot of times they would come back and say certain things, and, and we, we understood they weren't experiencing God. And so we would challenge them. And in Psalm, I can't remember, Psalm 37 or Psalm, Psalm 30-something, taste and see that the Lord is good is what I would say, is, is basically not test God, but give it to God. You, you believing for this, take it to God in prayer and see what happens. And many Sundays, because we had our, our small group on Sundays, Sunday evenings these students would come and say, God answered my prayer. God did this. God did that. We had this one gentleman, young, young gentleman, who said, I just want God to speak to me. I just want God, I just want to see the reality of God in my life. And, 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 and I got it in my mind, but in my heart I want to know. So he comes to our house on a Sunday evening. He said, you'll never guess what happened. He said, I had this, this experience. He said, I don't know if it was a dream or if it's actually what happened. He said, I woke up in my bed and my bed was kind of levitating in the air. And it was just something kind of weird about it, almost demonic is what he's saying. And he said, the only thing I ever knew, um, or not everything I ever remember you guys saying, but one thing I heard you guys say is you can always call upon the name of Jesus. And he said, I just called upon the name of Jesus, and I felt the bed set back down on the floor. Again, I don't know if it's a dream or, or, or this is what really happened. And he said, in that moment, this peace overcame me like never before. And he said, I'm ready to get baptized. And it wasn't until he experienced God in the fullness that he truly believed. And there's a lot that sometimes we fall short of, of experiencing with God. You know, we, in a muscle car, maybe people drive at the speed limit because they don't want to get a ticket. There's a lot of, a lot of reasons why you, you would uh, drive it like a regular four-cylinder. But the whole purpose is to know that you've got that power just in case. That when you're out in the country and it's midnight or it's, or it's Sunday morning at 7.30, you can just open it up. And there's going to be no officer. There's going to be no one walking across the road that might be a, a danger. What if we opened it up with God? Again, I'm not saying he's possession that we take out and we rub a certain way. But to say, God, here's the thing that I'm struggling with personally. Here's the thing that I've been wanting to hold on to. But Lord, I'm just going to lay it right here. And I'm going to believe that you're moving in whatever way, to experience it in greater ways. That fear that we may have, that apprehension that we may have, that relationship that's good, but it needs to go to another. Our own relationship with him. Not just coming casually, I went to the word for 10 minutes or 15, but getting into the word. Coming boldly to the throne of grace of God. What would it look like? John says, in chapter 15, he says, Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. 
The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. See, many times we, we plug into the vine maybe when it's convenient, but he says, be with me, remain in me. There's this idea that Paul talks about in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing or, or to pray continuously or always. It's to have that constant communion with God. You know, like what Carrie, you know, as, like I, the example I gave, 10 minutes, you got 10 minutes to talk or, or, or I'll share when I have a struggle. We have this constant communion. I can look at her and know a lot of times how she's feeling. I know what food she likes and which one she doesn't. It's because we've spent time in each other's presence, but also experiencing each other. It's a, it's a relationship. It's an intimacy that takes place. And the Lord wants us to go deeper, I believe. This whole idea of God being our treasure. This man, is, as we go back and we read this verse again, says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and he reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys that field. What is your treasure? What would you give everything to possess? We can say, God, it's you, but what is our lifestyle like? And that's not to make anyone feel guilty. It's for us, for you to go before the Lord and, and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to say, yes, you are, God is your treasure. Or to say, yeah, there's a few things that might be distracting you. There might be a few things that you're a little bit more focused on. I'm not here to tell you that. It's, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit. But make Him your treasure today. Be united with Him. Maybe you've never been united with Him. Maybe you've kind of walked away a little. Maybe you've had a rough time and it's, and it's kind of knocked you back a little bit. But be united. Be reconciled to Him and experience Him. Take it to the Lord. There's power. We sing about it all the time. Power in the name of Jesus. We sang it last week. His love never fails. We sang it this morning. The grave is empty. He's overcome death. He reigns in our lives. Let us just not speak it. Let's experience it. Let's, let's see what God does. Whatever it is that, that you're, you're believing, whatever it is that, that is there, that's on your heart, let's just give it over to the Lord today see what he does. Lord, we thank you this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are our treasure. Lord, help us to desire you like no other, Lord. And Lord, help us not just to know you, not just to have a vision of, of who you are. Let us not just be reconciled to you, but let us experience you at a deeper level, at a deeper place. Lord, whatever that may be, Each one of us knows what that is. Lord, we thank you that you are the Almighty, that you are the all-powerful. That you do break strongholds. That you set us free. That you remove the fears that we have, that we face or the shame, or, or just the lack of confidence. Lord, as we experience you, 
let there be a boldness, a greater boldness, a greater confidence, a greater identity in knowing who we are. Lord, let us turn to you first and foremost instead of to ourselves and and our own strength or to others. Let us find fulfillment in you and, 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 and in you alone, Lord. Lord, I pray for these burdens that, that we, we carry. May we lay them at your feet. May you carry them for us, Lord. We thank you for the ways that you're moving. Even as Paul dealt with his own thorn in the flesh, he continued to praise you. He continued to, to, to plug into you to say that your grace is sufficient. And Lord, so may your grace be sufficient over all of our lives. And Lord, if we have backed away, we've just kind of been in your presence, but, but just not surely confident if, if you can move. Lord, we repent of that. Fall fresh in our lives, Lord. Fall in new and powerful ways, Lord. Even as we leave here today, let us notice the small ways, the small things that, that you're moving. Lord, we thank you that you are God. Help us not to take that place upon your throne. Let us bow before in worship. Let us bow before in praise. Let us bow before, Lord, trusting. We thank you that you are moving mightily. Lord, we continue to pray for our friends at Dartmouth Court, Lord, for what you're doing there. Lord, we pray for, for our friends that we work with. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for our friends that, that we, we see out and about in the city. We, think, we pray for strangers that we come across in stores and in restaurants, other places. Lord, use us. Use us, Lord, to bring healing in their lives, to bring refreshing in their lives as you work through us. Lord, thank you for what you're doing through each and every one of us. I just pray a blessing over each person, each family, as they go out into the world, Lord. May they go in peace, may they go in joy, may they go in, in, in your full strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want our prayer ministers to come forward this morning. If you need prayer, they're here to pray with you. came to the Backyard Bible Club, volunteered. There's lunch that's going to be served in the fellowship area. We are dismissed.